Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 3 as we start a new chapter today in a Bible study that I've entitled, Music is a Powerful Tool. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation in in, uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now a few years have passed between chapters two and three. Some estimate as many as 20 years take place. You might want to write that in the margin between the last verse, verse 49 of chapter two and chapter three. About 20 years has passed. You don't always see that as you're reading through the Bible chapter by chapter. And with the passing of time, things have changed. Remember, it was back in chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him greatly. He called for all his magicians, astrologers, his soothsayers, and he demanded them not only to give the interpretation of the dream, but actually to give the dream itself, which was a test. And it was also a revelation, I believe, of Nebuchadnezzar's heart that he knew that those that he was calling really didn't have the kind of power that they said they did, and they failed the test. They weren't able to do it, but God could. And God shows up in front of Nebuchadnezzar through the life of Daniel. Just as many times God shows up in the lives of those you work with, those you live with, those you recreate with in the presence, he shows up in the presence of your life and your words and your presence. And we learned that what was going on in Daniel's life was a divine setup. It was an appointment by God that all that had happened in Daniel's life up to this point was in preparation for standing here before Nebuchadnezzar. And what had happened in Daniel's life was not good. He was literally kidnapped, stolen away from his homeland into a foreign land to be brainwashed in ways that were against the, in <clears throat> ways that were against the way he was raised, against his religion, against his commitments, And yet, that was the human side. The divine side was God arranging and allowing and using circumstances to put Daniel at the right place at the right time. And that great image that the king saw in his dream was actually a peek into future history. 
the coming of world kingdoms would emerge and fall. And you'll recall that the image that he saw in his dream was, had the gold head which represented Babylon. And it had the chest and the arms of silver that represented the Medes and the Persians. The bellies and the thighs of bronze were the Grecian Empire. The legs of iron represented the Roman Empire. And then the feet that were mixed with iron and clay would represent a future empire, a revived Roman Empire far into the future. And so after Daniel revealed the dream and interpreted for King Nebuchadnezzar, he's blown away, Nebuchadnezzar is, at the God of Daniel. And anytime God manifests himself in a miraculous way, it blows the minds of people. And they may not... They may not share that with you immediately, but God's word will not return void, and neither will his presence. Notice back in verse 46 of chapter 2, to remember where Nebuchadnezzar is as we left off the chapter. It says in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him, verse 47. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. And then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all the wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. So he promotes Daniel. He praises God. Even offering false worship, he's so overwhelmed. And then some time passes, about 20 years. Perhaps King Nebuchadnezzar began to wonder, who says my empire has to come to an end? Because that image represented that King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon would not rule over the world forever. And maybe he began to second guess this revelation of God this truth of God. Perhaps he thought in his mind, why can't this image be all gold? Why does it have to have the different metals involved? I'm not sure that I believe Daniel's interpretation. And his heart is not so enamored with the God of Daniel over time. As a matter of fact, God is pushed right out of the picture. Which reminds me of a couple things. First of all, when God reveals something to you, immediate obedience is the best choice. Because the longer you wait, the easier it is to talk you out of what you heard from the Lord. And it's just important that we respond as God reveals. It's important that we respond to what God teaches us. And it's important that we follow through with obedience, more obedience. As we abide in Christ and we stay put in our relationship with him, then obedience flows through our lives. But then when we begin to examine you know, it, I think of the, the children of Israel when they sent spies into the land to spy out the land. Whenever I began to go to check out what God has already said, there's always the temptation to talk myself out of what God has already said. Because although the voice of God is very loud, I have found in my own mind my voice can be louder that I am prone to listen to myself more than I listen to the Lord, which is one of the benefits of hiding God's word in our hearts so the Holy Spirit has the word to even, even as we, we try to pull back, the Holy Spirit will not allow us to pull back because God's word is inside of us. And so here Nebuchadnezzar, as you'll see, has a dramatic change. 
And the only thing that we can account that's given to us in the text is time. A significant amount of time. And I believe the same thing happens to you and me if we're not careful. Because we can have a great experience with the Lord. And we can enjoy a deep emotional tugging or a powerful song that grabbed our heart or a meaningful time of repentance. But those won't sustain you for the long haul. Experiences will not sustain you for the long haul. Because you know as well as I do, and certainly this testimony is true for some, you know, Pastor Ian introduced that song where we're singing and he's singing and then we respond and he's singing and we respond. And then the way the song goes, it, it just continues to go up and go and it ends on such a high point. And so there we are singing that song on such a high point and then we go out to the parking lot and somebody backs out in front of us and we're not singing so much anymore. We had this great experience of great worship and then we face reality. We, we have a fender bender or we have some experience or something happened with our kid in the Sunday school or we have to go home to some of the things. You know, we were thinking, one of the things the Lord gave me today when we were praying over the requests that were offered this weekend is that for many people that filled out those papers, these, this 90 minutes on the property, or some of you stayed for two services, so a couple hours on the property here in this place that used to be just an f- open field, but now it houses a building where we worship together. For 90 minutes, you can be ushered into the very presence of the Lord. You're just captivated by his presence, by song, by Bible study, by fellowship, by serving. You're just captivated in the presence of God for 90 minutes. And then on minute 91, reality hits. Because we live in reality. And we can't rely upon experiences. I have found that many people rely on experience. And what they, what they rely upon is the gathering. Instead of allowing the gathering to be a place that encourages and uplifts and points us to the habitual surrender to Jesus Christ, it's like, you know what, I'm going to show up, I, I want to feel good, and I'm gonna, hopefully that feeling will last all week. But feelings don't sustain. What happens when your emotional tank is empty? What is it? What happens when you, instead of obeying what the Bible says and walking by faith and not by sight, what happens when your feelings are down and not up? Well, you're prone to attack. You become very vulnerable in the spiritual realm. Happiness is, such, is so dependent upon our circumstances. And if things are going well, then we tend to be very happy. And if things are not going so well, we tend not to be very happy. But joy transcends circumstance. Because joy is an inner, settled relationship with Jesus that remember no matter that, that reminds us no matter what happens, my God is faithful. He's with me. Promise never to leave me or forsake me. It may not even take 20 years for you to be talked out of your faith. It reminds me of a, another spiritual truth here, and that is in the times of waiting or in between chapters in your life, you got to be careful who you listen to. you got to be careful who speaks into your life. As we'll see in a moment, we got to be careful what we deposit in the treasure chest of our hearts, of who we are, the depth of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a daily relationship with Jesus. It's a moment-by-moment relationship to him as he reveals himself in his word. Turn over, hold your place in Daniel for a moment. Would you turn over to the Psalms with me? Psalm 72. 
I want you to see just a couple of truths in the Psalms to remind us of this daily, moment-by-moment walk with the Lord. In Psalm 72, notice with me verse 15. The psalmist declares, this psalm is attributed to Solomon. And the psalmist declares, Long live the king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. And may the people always pray for him and bless him all day long. Now, if that is if that is an instruction for an earthly king, how much more that we might be giving to God all of what we are and that we would always pray to him and bless him all day long. You know, the instruction to pray for an earthly king, oh Lord, bless it because a, a blessed king is a blessed people, but how much more when we think of our relationship with the king of kings daily, moment by moment. Notice 61 verse 8, Psalm 61 verse 8. This is one of those themes that you could go throughout the Psalms and see this truth repeated over and over again that we might daily be in relationship with him. Notice verse verse 8 of Psalm 61. It says, Then I will sing praises to your name forever, and I will fulfill my vows each day. One more, chapter 88, Psalm 88. I didn't put them in order, so you got to go all over the place. Psalm 88, left, right, left, right, verse 9. Psalm 88, verse 9. <clears throat> it says, my eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord, and I lift my hands to you for mercy. As you know, and I mentioned it before, we're in our 20th year here in ministry in Colorado and our 20th year coming up in December of, of serving God in this particular fellowship family. And when you're in the same place for 20 years, the same church for 20 years, you see a lot of change in the people. You see a lot of wonderful change. Maturity, you know, it starts with salvation or a recommitment and then it, it's followed up by, by steady perseverance and then spiritual growth and then family perhaps, and kids, and grandkids, and marriages, and it's a glorious thing to be around for 20 years to see people grow up, and to see them launch off, and perhaps go into ministry, or, or seeing many of the young people that grew up in this church serving in this church still, uh, in new relationship, in marriages, and with kids. It's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And there's also a side that you see that's not so beautiful, and it's not so wonderful. I've seen many men, and women, men, many men and women who once had such a strong walk with Jesus Christ raised in this church, raised in the teaching of this church and the worship of this church and the service of this church. They have been up on the front of the stage praying for you. They've showed up at the hospital for you or perhaps in previous years for other parts of the body. They've been relied upon in this church. They have been expected uh, to fulfill their commitments and, and have borne much fruit in many ways through the life of the church, but now they're not living for the things of the Lord anymore. Or not as serious, not even walking with the Lord, some even denouncing their faith. I remember the first time I saw a young man come through the church here and just do, just see so many great things happen in his life. So, many, so much progress. 
I had the privilege of personally serving alongside of him for a lot of the time that he was here. And then something happened. I don't still quite know what. And he ended up heading off, and I don't even remember. I think he went to another state, but through another person, I found out that all of a sudden he declared himself an atheist. I mean, this brother, we, we had sweet communion together. I can recall walking the streets of New York right after 9-11 as we took a team down there and we began evangelizing. The whole city was wide open to the gospel. It seemed like everyone you stopped on the street was willing not only for you to pray with them, but to talk to them, open a Bible for them. It was an amazing time. I've never seen any time like that before. And I remember, I have pictures that still pray for this brother, that we were arm in arm, and that the brother is just such a gifted evangelist. God used him, and I, I loved to be around him because he was so much easier to spark up conversations with him with me. And we just had such a great time coming back, and today he's not walking with the Lord. What is that, 17, 18 years later? And what happened? Well, we know spiritual warfare has happened. We know a series of decisions happened. But I know across the board, everything, all the things that, that each of the people that run through my mind, and I'm sure you can think of a few yourself, everything, one thing that every one of them shared was time. Because like any real relationship, as you found out, the relationships are formed through two things, time and testing. Time and testing. And the testing only reveals how we will respond. And real, real relationships go through real testing, real challenges. There are times in real relationships that, that we're at odds with one another. We make mistakes with one another. That's the body of Christ, let alone our own personal relationships and our own family relationships. But time has a way of revealing how you deal with the doubts and discouragements. You know, you can make friends with your doubts and you can make friends with your discouragement and you can just kind of dwell in the place of doubt and, you know, the enemy's lies always love to follow on doubts and discouragements. Or you can see those doubts and discouragements as God's tools to turn you to a place of greater dependence upon him. Uh, Turn you to a place of greater surrender on your part. That although it's hard right now, Although it's hard right now, I wish you could have read some of the things that we read today before the throne room of God. Hard for some folks in our church doesn't even describe, doesn't even come close to what was written on those pages in that moment. Doesn't even come close. And yet, even though it's hard, that pressure is taking you to the God that loves you and cares for you. Nebuchadnezzar had some time to think about it. How does a person go from here in chapter 2, truly your God is the greatest gods of the Lord over the kings? How does that happen? That's where he started. And by the time a few years passes in chapter 3, he's having everybody in the kingdom bow down to a false image. Time and testing. Notice again in verse 1, it was King Nebuchadnezzar that made a gold statue. It was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and he sent messages to all the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People! 
all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of these musical instruments, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground for what? To worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So here's the huge image set up by the king to represent the huge ego of the king. It was golden, proud, and standing tall there in the plains. And truly this image reflected the heart of Nebuchadnezzar wanting to draw the praise and attention from the people of his kingdom. This image that he created was far greater than the image he saw in his dream because it was only one metal. And it was the metal that represented him. And so you could say that this image was a representation of King Nebuchadnezzar to the people. No other, no, none of the other metals are included. Gold is what it'll be because my kingdom will stand forever. But Nebuchadnezzar's in trouble here. And it doesn't take much to see that. He's consumed with himself and he's caught in the trap of his inflated pride. And God has a way of dealing with people like this. He has a way of deflating them and bringing them back down to earth. Have you found that to be true in your life? My pastor used to say that when your head swells up and it begins to swell up in pride, that God, like a, like a big balloon, that God has a pen that he knows how to pop that area of pride in your life. And he uses a lot of many, you know, the choice before us when it comes to pride and humility is, Number one, you can choose to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. That choice is given to you in the scriptures. Or you can allow God to humble you as he resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. But either way, humility would be found in our lives. And I'm not entirely sure about your personal walk with Jesus, but I know in my personal walk with Jesus, both of those steps of humility have a tendency to be painful to the pride in our lives. But it's far more painful when God humbles us than it is when we choose the path of humility in our lives. That path of surrender. Jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. That place of strength. And here I can see Nebuchadnezzar. I could just hear the masses of people and the 90-foot statue, and everyone can see it from every angle. And the command was, when you hear the music, bow down. So, verse 7, at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So not only was the image there, but the command was to bow down and worship it. Now, this is something that we could call enforced worship or forced worship. This was not an option for them, although he did give them a choice. You know, bow down to the image or die in a fiery furnace. Those are your choices. And yet the worship here was not voluntary. It wasn't a call out to the people of Babylon. Whoever wants to come and worship, you're more than welcome. We're setting up the statue, and it'll be out there for a few weeks, and you can come and pay homage if you like. And remember this. Forced worship 
is not worship at all. Forced worship is not worship at all. It really never works because true worship, and we'll be looking at worship a little bit deeper in our next Bible study, but true worship is spontaneous from the heart toward God. That's real worship. Worship is not bowing down to a false image. That, that is a disobedience of one of the Ten Commandments, both not to make an image or bow down to it. And everything we do here in our fellowship as we gather together is an opportunity for worship. Sometimes we narrow down worship just to the music part of the service, but that's not just worship. We would err in thinking that worship is only when someone is singing. Worship in singing is a part of worship. But that idea of worship actually comes from two words, means, meaning to ascribe worth to. So that you can see that in your life, everything you do is an act of worship. Toward God or something else. Worship is ascribing worth. And so in our fellowship, you can think of the things that we have. For example, even on our midweek Bible study, what do we have? We have an opportunity for you to gather before the service for fellowship to minister to people throughout the building that arrive early. That's worship. You have an opportunity to come into a room uh, at, a, at a specific time so that we have a worship leader to begin at a certain time and begin singing. You are invited to sing. And then we have outset before you the elements that represent communion, the broken body in the sh- of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. And we invite you, partake in worship through communion. And then we stop and we take another direction in, in our service and we say, now is the time to pray. And these are the points that were laid upon the heart of one of our pastors or one of the men and women on our team here. And so we invite you to pray. And then we have a time, maybe a missionary update, and we invite you to support in prayer and perhaps financially the missionary. And then we have a time in Bible study, and we invite you to worship God through studying his word and learning about his character and nature. And then there's time after. We don't lock the doors right away. There's time after. Uh, Your kids are downstairs. We invite you to go get your kids. We don't force you to. We invite you to go get your kids. But you can hang out. You'll be here for a while. So you can pray for one another, encourage one another, talk about the things of the Lord, maybe speak about what you learned in the message or what happened this week, and you're invited to participate. Nobody forces you. It's not forced worship here. It's an invitation. You can join in the prayer, and you can join in the music, and you can join in the singing, and you can join in. We we don't... probably need to mention it more often, but we we don't even mention the fact that God wants you to worship in your giving and the tithes and offerings. But there are boxes all over the, the, the room here that invite you to participate. A reminder perhaps on our social media that if you want to give online, you're invited to give online, but nobody forces you. We don't dig into your bank account or show up at your house when you're not there and dig through your drawers looking for your offering and your tithe. You're invited to participate. You're invited to participate when there's a call to repentance. You're invited to participate when there's a call to rededication. You're invited. You you think sometimes, I, I know it gets pretty pedantic at times when we're reading through the announcements, but have you ever understood the announcements of any church service as an invitation to participate in the life of your church, in reaching the community? or serving within the context of the ministry here for the people that just show up or haven't been here, or or, you you give a, a coffee in the name of Jesus Christ to bless someone, to draw them here in fellowship. It's all invitations. 
You're not forced to these things. But understand sometimes how you, how you feel and how you respond to these invitations. I, I think one of the most noticeable responses that we've seen lately, certainly not in this room now, but you know, we made a major drastic change led by the Holy Spirit here on a Wednesday night by committing a faithful time of dedicated prayer. Dedicated prayer. It's a beautiful thing. Prayer is from the Lord. We should pray. We, could, we can pray. We should pray. We should pray together. We should lift others' needs together. Uh, Ten minutes doesn't even seem like it's enough at times. So we have other prayer meetings. You know, prayer is just overtaken. We even have Pastor Avant who oversees and is praying about prayer. We got a pastor that prays about prayer and how God might stir us up. And some of you were a part of our midweek Bible study back when we started this, and you'll recall, although I have to say things are growing again and starting to grow again, it's been a couple years. We've been doing this for a couple years now or so. And I mean, back before we were, we were uh, praying together, just in a small group, back before that, I'd say the room here was probably more than half, perhaps even three quarters full sometimes on our midweek Bible study. People were coming out, give me Bible study, give me song, give me Bible study, give me song. Oh, we're inviting you to pray. I don't want to pray. And it was, if you peeked, you shouldn't peek when you pray, but if you did, you'd see people walk out the door. And their response to the invitation was, I won't pray. That's what, when you walk out the door when there's a time of prayer and you don't pray, that's your, I won't pray. And we just needed to keep praying. If I was the last one in here, or Ian and I, or Ian Avan and I, or just a few of us were in here, we are committed to do what God has led us to do. We are committed to teach you that this is an important, vital part of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're here to help you understand that the church body here is an important part of your life. And so you just have to take that chance and watch the room empty out and be sad. Oh, I wasn't sad that I was going to be teaching to an empty room. I was sad that people didn't want to pray. And that, not only did they not want to pray, but their response was, I won't pray. Or perhaps even more common, I won't give. Or perhaps even more common, I won't sing. Or perhaps even more common, I won't share. I won't tell my neighbor. I won't help. I won't serve. That's the response to all the invitations within the life of your local church. This is your local church. This is the church that God has chosen to reach this community, our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, our uttermost parts of the earth. But I don't know if you've ever considered, and I'm asking you to consider today, that your response isn't just, no, I don't feel like it. Your response is, I won't. That sounds a little more heavier, doesn't it? It's not, I don't feel like singing today. No, I won't sing. I won't even hum. I won't even make a joyful noise. And yet, you know that in those times that you don't desire that, when you choose to obey, the Lord meets you right there and just releases. He begins to work. You open a new channel for the Spirit. And so as we, just in back to that example of prayer, as we've committed to pray, if you peek now, but you shouldn't peek. But if you peek now, you will see a room filled with people praying. Not only will you see it, 
but you'll hear it because there's a different sound in a room between people talking and people praying. When you hear a louder noise, that's talking. And a little bit of laughter, ha, 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 you'll hear a lot. But when there's praying, it's just kind of like a low hum. And those, those prayers are going up into the presence of the Lord like incense. And he hears every single one of them. And he answers them according to his will. And it's the invitation. It's the invitation. This invitation from King Nebuchadnezzar does not represent the God of heaven. God does not force you to do anything. And may the Lord stop pastors and leaders and those in churches trying to force you to do something that God doesn't even force you to do. He invites us. He says, come on in. The veil is torn from top to bottom. Come in and worship and be refreshed and be encouraged and participate in the life of the church. Don't respond with, I won't pray, because that's not a position of worship. And don't respond with, I won't sing, because that's not a position of worship. And don't respond with, I won't give or I won't serve, but rather lay those attitudes and lay those feelings and lay those hurts perhaps or those fears those fears before the Lord and step into them and watch God strengthen you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, you must decide each in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God loves a person that worships cheerfully. And God loves a person that serves, cheer, uh, serves cheerfully. And God loves a person that ha- takes in communion cheerfully. He loves the cheerful response. He loves the cheerful worshiper. And I know part of my worship here is a regular ongoing prayer that your hearts will be touched by the Lord. Sometimes I refer to that as that God will just flip that switch inside of you. <laughs> It's just the switch of no going back. It's the switch of all going all in as we uh, study, made that the theme of our church not too many years ago. Just, just decide, go all in. Go all in with your life. And we don't need to hear your commitment. We don't need you to write it down. You know what it is and we'll get to enjoy it. I always love to thank people for their faithfulness to the Lord. I like to say something like this, you know, thank you for your faithfulness for the, to the Lord and your obedience to Jesus because we get to enjoy the fruit from your life. It's not rotten fruit, it's good fruit. It's not a shriveled up vine, but it's one that's lush where the branches are bending down. And whether we get to see it or not, we, we get to watch the fruit of your life. And whether we get to see you at work or not, we hear of it and the testimony and the witness It seems as if every week on my heart, I'm asking the Spirit of God would grab you and grasp you and grow you so that you won't be, if God gives me 20 more years, you won't be who's in my mind. I have this photographic memory where I remember images and I remember time periods and I remember where we were and I may not remember all of the details, but I have these images in my mind. So when I was sharing with you some of the people, I remember them. And I hope 20 years, if that's, if the Lord, you know, first of all, I hope Jesus Christ returns before 20 years, okay? My hope is his return. That's not, we are, we, we are looking for the blessed hope. But should we get another 20 years, I don't want you, the precious saints here today, to be on my mind to think, man, they were so faithful. 
It was just so beautiful to see the change in their life, the addictions that they kicked and, and the rescuing of their marriage and the testimony of their life. But then I look out and I go, yeah, I, I've heard about them. They left here all bitter and angry and they didn't resolve things or they got into something or they hung out with this group of people and now they're an atheist. Now they're an atheist. And may the Lord guard and protect our hearts that we might persevere. I want you to notice here one more thing before we head out. And that's the power of music. The power of music. I, I have like a godly envy for a guy like Ian or the men and women on our worship team because of their talent in music. I have no talent in music. And if you've ever heard me sing with, I accidentally keep my mic on, you would agree. <laughs> I, I don't have the ability, even though I've tried at various times in my life, I don't have that in me. Uh, although I do sound like uh, the CD when I sing in the shower. <laughs> but that's about it. And I have this, I have this joy when I, I, I'm able to come into a room. And, and I think you'd probably say the same thing. Music moves me. Music can move me. You know, when I wasn't a believer, music moved me. All the 80s music is the soundtrack of my sinful life. And it moved me. And it influenced me. And now today, the music of Jesus influences and moves me. And it, it, is, able to, it is able to take, what, however I walk into the room, even resisting, you know, even with a resistant heart, even maybe I'm at a place where I won't. And we start off with music because it has a way of moving us and preparing us for God's word. And I, it's powerful. And Nebuchadnezzar used music to move the people. Music was the cue. It, it was what moved them. The music was a, used to appeal to their flesh, to soften them up, even as secular music today can be used to influence the masses. And you say, Ed, why do you use the word secular? Well, when I use that word, I'm referring to a genre of music that simply does not in any way promote the love, grace, mercy, and character and nature of God. All that music. Music that's been born from our culture, that's been birthed from our culture. Music that's been birthed by those that have no reverence, no respect, no worship of God. That music still moves us. And so here Nebuchadnezzar is using music that appeals to the flesh because music is a powerful spiritual means that can be used both by the kingdom of light and also the kingdom of darkness. I see today so much around us as the temptations are around us with the enemy is always playing his music. Always playing his music. This would be a great opportunity for a real cheesy joke about country music. But then I'd lose the point that I'm making. It's not about a particular genre of music. It's what our parents used to tell us that we didn't agree with them. It's the lyrics. The tempo and all of that gets our attention so that the lyrics are fed into us. And I remember my parents listening to some of my music growing up and going, oh, I don't listen to that, it sounds horrible. And I go, oh, mom, I don't listen to the lyrics. But if we played a little game of name that tune today, there are a lot of lyrics in my mind that don't glorify God. 
that have been embedded inside of my fleshly brain. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But my brain still has a lot of the flesh. Does your brain? Anybody get a new brain? All right. It's like, man, maybe God's doing something special. No, we all have the same brain. You know, according to Ezekiel, you can jot it down, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, the devil was a musician. Some suggest that the devil was the chief musician of heaven before he was cast out. And sometimes we like to joke, Satan was a worship leader, but he wasn't after he fell. He glorified God until pride got the best of him. He was an anointed musician. Why? Because God loves music. God loves music. It's a blessing to use music to praise the Lord and honor him. It's a blessing to use music, but the devil also understands the power of music. And so there's a constant battlefield when it comes to music. And it's being used. It's true that music has the power to motivate you in worship with great intensity, or as in Nebuchadnezzar we see, can cause you to fall down in idolatry. And it's my prayer that no one here underestimates the effect of music on your hearts, on your minds, and your souls. According to Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, a good, Jesus taught us, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, but an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Or you may have memorized that, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our hearts are like precious empty treasure chests. What will we store there? What will we deposit there? And there's music that will draw us away from God. There's music that can take us to God in adoration and submission. And that's why, within the context of worship, our times together as we gather in this larger gathering, you know, when we come together as the church, we sing. And we place a great emphasis of singing and learning new songs where the lyrics praise God. We literally set that time aside so that we might seek the Lord together in song with music, softening our hearts and strengthening our faith. And even over the years, as I've served with Ian for many, many years now, we've seen things ebb and flow where it's just been kind of naturally where sometimes there'll be more music and, and less time in teaching, and then there'll be other times where there's more teach time in teaching and less music, and we don't really schedule that. We don't sit around and say, okay, this is exactly what I want you to sing it this way and how you want to sing it that way. On, on occasion, we do sit down and go, try to hit this time. But, but I'll watch Ian sometimes, and I'll just see him so caught up in the presence of the Lord, and he wants us to go with him. And he's not looking at that big clock on the back wall back there that's always reminding me, you're running out of time. You're running out of time. He doesn't, he's so caught up in the Lord. And his desire is to bring you into the presence of the Lord. And sometimes it's like we had today. We have a person up here with a guitar. And other times it's a full worship team. Other times all the lights and different colors are on and sometimes the lights are moving and maybe there's haze on the stage to accentuate the lights. And sometimes um, there's a male leading. Sometimes there's a female leading. Sometimes um, it, it varies. And I've always appreciated that in our church. It varies. That we can worship with a large group. We can worship with a small group and... In 20 years, I've never had to lead worship, so I don't know if we could worship with me leading. But if I had to, I'd try. I would give my best. 
And I'm sure I'd get a few emails, but I think most of you would join me. I do it, whatever the Lord would lead us to do, I think it would be okay. I think God would honor our desire to worship Him. Pastor Ian is a blessing to our church. Katie and his children, as he has heard the call, as he's heard the call from God and has dedicated his life to leading the church in worship and focusing in not only on his own skills but training up other men and women on how to lead us in worship. How to be here and be seen and yet be out of the way, which is very difficult. How to be excellent with the skill but also not to draw attention to himself overly. How to lead us in a song, and maybe if he's hearing we're not singing, in a very gentle way, he'll repeat something so we, until we get it. <laughs> and never really tell us, you guys messed up on that song, so I sang it three different times. But if, you, if, if, you're, if you're in the midst of worship, you probably will never notice that anyway. You'll probably in your heart, repeat it again, repeat it again. But you know, our worship times in song here our Pastor Ian or Pastor Jason or any of the men and women that lead us in worship, they're not performers. They're not performers. They're worship leaders. I know people don't like that phrase. You could say worship pastor. You could say worship leader. They're, you could even say chief worshipers. But they're here to lead us in worship. They're here not to put on a show or put on a performance but to lead us in worship. They're not here to entertain us, but to edify us. And Pastor Ian's gifting is to prayerfully choose songs to lead us in singing so we might be softened and touched by the Spirit. And in recent years, in a couple of years, you know, we've added some lights and different sound, and we've changed the, 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 the way this room operates, and there's different things on the stage. And some people have asked, well, why have we done that? Well, a careful reading of Scripture will see that there are times of mellow worship and there are times on the throne room of grace that it is wildly full of excitement in the presence of God. And so there's a difference sometimes between praise and worship. And so time, sometimes the emphasis in our worship is praise and it's just all high upbeat songs. And other times you'll notice there are times in our worship where there's more of a sullen uh, man, Lord, we're hurting, and we're asking you to meet us here, and the tone of the songs go that way. And sometimes there's a mixture. And as we'll see in our next time together, in our next study together, we make a grave error when we only judge the outward. As if, you know, like I'll be sharing, you know, sometimes you walk out of the, of the sanctuary to your car after a service, and you go, hey, honey, what'd you think of the service? What did you think of worship today? Oh, I'll give it a six. Well, I mean, I, I thought it was a six and a half, but I guess a six. I mean, I guess you're right, you know. Uh, the guy missed the slide up on the screen, and, and uh, Ian missed a little thing here, and then Ed came up too early, and I, he has a microphone. Yeah, maybe a five. Yeah, baby, a five. It's a five. And you've just, just lost the wonder that you had people that dedicated their lives to leading you in worship, and they did that. And you graded him like you were on The Voice or American Idol, you know. It's like, I gave him a five. I didn't even, I didn't even turn my buzzer around, you know. I just hit my, I didn't, I wasn't even, I was just looking the other way. Imagine if God put a number up on the screen for you. In your worship. 
So uh, is it my turn, Lord? What's my number? What's my number? Two. Oh, man. I was pretty messed up, man. That's right. I'm all critical and all complaining. You know, because you can't worship and complain at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. And, and I understand the environment that we're in, and I understand there, there is a, like a critical spirit when it comes to these things. If it's not, if you're not critic, if, if not you in particular, but if those that would walk out, if, you're not, if they're not criticizing the worship, they're criticizing the teaching, they're criticizing the building, they're criticizing the church, criticize, criticize, criticize. But God didn't save us to be critical. He saved us to be worshipers. He saved us to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, to enjoy him. And you know as well as I do, when we're all caught up with a critical spirit, we're miserable people. And as I learned recently, you know, our criticism others, of others, you might want to jot this. This is tweetable. Ready? Our criticism of others reveals more about ourselves than it does about the other person. Our criticism of churches reveals more about ourselves. Now, I do believe the Bible calls us to be critical with doctrine, sound doctrine. I don't believe there's a criticism or a, you know, a murmuring when there's false teaching. We call it out for what it is and teach correctly. But all the other things that are secondary of all the different, you know, personalities and stuff, you know, all the, God is so gracious to us. He has so many different types of churches and worship services and all because there's so many types of people. And it's almost like God's saying with all the different churches in town, he's just like, he's just like saying, pick one and worship me. Stop this nonsense of running around looking for the perfect church and just find a perfect God and worship me. Just worship me. That's the work of him in our hearts, and that requires perseverance. It requires commitment. It requires time and testing. And I'm so grateful for our time and song because we realize the power of music. We realize the power of music that have lyrics that honor and praise God. For Nebuchadnezzar, the penalty was the fiery furnace. But for those worshipers of God, the penalty... That's far greater than a fiery furnace. You just live a miserable, worshipless life. Always putting yourself at the center. Always having your needs to be met. Not being happy with the commitment or the dedication of the men and women that are around us. And not joining in. Not joining in. The invitation, come, come on, Jesus, let's go. I know for a fact there have been many times when the worship leader, whether it's Jason, Ian, or whoever, I know many times they were up here only by obedience. Because if they had their choice, they'd be somewhere else. Just for the condition of their life. Just going through something. going, And, and, it, and they, it's just from the first note, it's like, wow, we're all in heaven, man. Where it's glorious and bright and brilliant. And you know the Bible says that around the throne of God, it's filled with smoke. It's just beautiful. And whatever the lights and the colors and everything in heaven, just to bring us into the, just to the beauty of God. And we only have a small taste of that. Giving us a greater appetite for the future. And we're going to get into this next time. But as it says in verse 6, well, excuse me, um, when it says in verse 7, at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever the race, nation, language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed 
on the Jews. If you'd like to write in your Bible, you can just write next or circle the word informed and write snitched. Some of the astrologers went to the king and snitched on the Jews, and they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. There were three that said, I will not bow. I will not bow. I won't be influenced. I won't go that far. They drew the line. And so worship and these guys will be the study in our next few weeks You can read ahead and be encouraged and be ready. But I love this. They refuse to disobey their God. And it's almost like, you know, you got everybody bowing down and these guys are standing straight up. We will stand, thank you very much. We will not bow down to that gold image because we belong to God. And so, Father, may you fill that into our hearts today that we too would stand for the things of God in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes. That you would help us to live a life of resolution and commitment, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit so that we might respond to the invitations, that we wouldn't miss out in these last days, that we would live every moment to the best of our abilities in unity with you, that we would consider you, that we would worship you. And even I didn't even mention all the ways that we could worship you. But in the ways that we did, God, you invite us in and we become more hungry We're more hungry for you than anything else. We're more hungry for you than, well, what did you say? You said, Jesus, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we want that blessed life, Lord, that our hungers would be in the right place. And I lift up those today that are wrestling and battling. They're here and they don't even want to be here just because of circumstances and difficulties. I thank you for those that have stepped into prayer and pressed in and and not respond, I won't, but respond, I will. I will. I will respond to the invite, God. I will enter into a new area. I will be in a discomforting place so that I might learn a new attribute. I might learn of your strength. And I thank you for the dedicated men and women who serve us in music. Not only here, but the kids downstairs, Michael and his team, I know they, they just sing with those kids and put these songs into their hearts. I love it. Thank you for the, those that are leading upstairs with the junior high and senior high and, and are, are exercising their gifts and honing their gifts and learning to be excellent with the skills and talents and spiritual gifts that you've given to them. And may we be a church invited. I mean, not only are we a church invited, but may we, may we be a church responding Forgive us, God, for our resistance and our rebellion and our stiff-neckedness. Forgive us for leaning on experience instead of walking by faith, trusting you and believing in you. No matter what we see or no matter what we feel, and may you be exalted and glorified in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.
We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.